Young adults, what's going on, guys? You good? Hey, we just wanted to uh, make the room as warm as it is outside to really embrace this summer at YA kind of thing. No, we got we got some AC hopefully kicking on here soon, so you don't I don't sweat through my T-shirt. Um, <laughs> Hey, my name's Connor. I'm one of the pastors here. I know Andrew asked, but anybody's first time, just so I can see. First time here, first time. Give it up. First time guest. Hey, thank you so much for coming. I say it every time I'm up here, but you don't have to believe everything that we believe to belong here at Young Adults. Um, but tonight we're going to unapologetically talk about Jesus. We're going to go through the Bible, and I believe that Jesus... The story, the message of Jesus, the reality of who he is actually has the power to transform your life. And so I don't know if you came in here uh, in, a, in a rough season. Maybe you're wrestling with some emotions, some depression, anxiety. Maybe you're just going through some type of transition in your life. I honestly believe that Jesus isn't just part of the answer, that he is the answer. Um, and that he can, in whatever moment you find yourself in tonight, be the antidote to what you're looking for. And so last week we kicked off summer at YA, um, and we honestly, we're just going to be opening up the Bible, seeing what it says, maybe examining some of the characters and looking at some of the stories and seeing what we ourselves can learn from that, and then what God, what we can learn about God from the stories that he has in his scripture. And so tonight we're going to jump into another story. Last week we talked about Abraham and Isaac. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, the story of Gideon. And so you can take your seat, um, and you can start flipping to Gideon chapter 6. I'm going to set the stage for you here real quick before we dive in. Uh, Judges chapter 6. We're going to explore this. Did I say something wrong? I heard people laughing. I said Gideon 6. Same thing. Same difference. So the story of Gideon found in Judges chapter 6, for all you haters, um, takes place in a situation like this. It's a time where Israel is still this group of tribes. They have not yet established a king or a kingdom. And for whatever reason, they're, they're going through taking this land that God had promised them, and they're having a very hard time staying faithful to God. They're having a very hard time being faithful to the God that delivered them, that they've seen all these miracles happen, but they continue to assimilate to the culture and the gods and the practices of the people around them. Sound familiar? Because of this, they find themselves in this never-ending cycle of they'll be faithful to God and God will bless them and, and they'll start to take territory and then they'll turn their hearts away from God and then God will allow other nations to conquer them and oppress them until they realize the error of their ways and they turn their hearts back to God. And when they start to turn their hearts back to God, God raises up these leaders, these, these, these warriors, also known as judges, where the title of the book comes from. Not like courtroom judges, but I, I don't know why they're called that, but they're, they're literally like leaders of these tribes. And that's kind of where we find ourselves tonight. Uh, Israel is being oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites. And any time that Israel grows a crop or has a, a farm or cattle or sheep or whatever, they come in and just destroy everything. And so we, we kind of find ourselves, we find Gideon in this situation where he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Any wheat threshers out there? That's what I thought. Nobody. And so basically what he's doing is he's doing this really hard laborious task 
in a very inconvenient spot. In a wine, if you're familiar with the story, a wine press is not where you do this. It's where you make wine. And so he's doing this because he's so afraid that the Midianites are going to discover who, uh, what he's doing or that he's like reserved some of these crops. And so he's hiding. He's honestly kind of being a coward. And that is where we kind of see our quote-unquote hero in our story as we approach in Judges chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. It says this. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Shout out to Oprah. She's this old. She's around when Gideon was around. <laughs> he sat down under Oprah and that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but whatever, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love Gideon's manners. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. Like, okay, that's weird. But, um, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and he's given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Again, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> like, okay, Gideon. Um, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. The title of my message tonight is simply this. Tonight we're going to be talking about the story of Gideon. And I think... This story paints a really interesting picture for us of what it looks like as followers of Jesus to go through the process of having a maturing faith. What does it look like for our faith to mature and to grow in our trust in God? And so tonight, that's what we're going to kind of be looking at through the story of Gideon. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father God, thank you so much uh, that we get the opportunity to come tonight and to uh, worship you and to hear your word. Um, God, I pray that tonight as we talk about this journey of what it looks like for our faith to grow and to mature in you, God, I pray that you would meet every single person where we're at tonight, whether we have, we just have this abundant faith and we're trusting you for everything, or maybe we're in a point in our life where we feel like we have no faith and we're questioning your goodness and if you're there and if you even care. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us tonight. And that as we elevate you and as we elevate the name of Jesus, that you would be the answer to everything we're looking for. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Does anybody have a moment that you distinctly remember in your life where you're like, wow, I'm growing up. Like, I don't know if you have a moment that sticks out to you that you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm growing up. Like we all have these moments kind of scattered throughout our life that are markers of these seasons where we've matured. Or maybe it was like some sort of big moment in your life, hopefully a good big moment, but a big moment that maybe launched you into like a season of adulthood. For some of us, this could be as simple as getting our driver's license. Like anybody in here that's like over the age of 25 that doesn't have a driver's license, you need to get on that. I know it's like, like a, a hip cool thing with the youths now, like to wait as long as you can to drive. I don't know why. That, that seems kind of dumb, but, but, but for me, like getting my driver's license was like a big moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm growing up, like I'm driving now. Or maybe it's your first serious relationship. 
Anybody remember that first true love where it kind of like went beyond infatuation? It was kind of beyond physicality. Like you actually really were into not just what this person looked like, but who this person was. Like your first true love. Or maybe it was leaving the house and moving out of your parents. Am I preaching to anybody in here tonight? Now, hey, you have a past. You live in Denver where like a shoebox costs like 450K. So... Live with your parents maybe a little longer till you save up. But, but that moment, I know for me, like packing up my car, driving out to Denver, that was like a big moment where I was like, okay, like I'm maturing. Like I'm, I'm stepping out. I'm growing up. I'm, I'm stepping into adulthood. Or maybe for you, it's that first day you walked into your career-oriented goal. No more fries or flipping burgers. Like you got to wear like the collared shirt and you got to go in and sit at a cubicle now. Which, are cubicles still a thing? Like, is that still, like, they are? Okay, nice. I've never been in a cubicle. I'm kind of jealous. Like, I just think of the office. I don't know. <laughs> but all of these things in our life, they are like markers of growing up, right? Signs that we are maturing as a person. And I, as a dad, have the privilege of kind of getting to watch this from the ground up with my daughter, Ezra. Now, my daughter, I think we're going to throw a picture of her up here at some point, but she is the most amazing, there she was, she's there and she's gone, I hope you got it, <laughs> she's the most amazing little girl on the planet, uh, she's almost a year and a half now, um, and the, she's my favorite person in the entire freaking world, she's, she's literally like the coolest human being I've ever met, and right now in her life, she is obsessed in this order with babies, horses, or as she calls them, nanes, and, <laughs> and birds, and I don't know why Aaron's dad, um, her, her grandpa, like, taught her to see a bird. She'll randomly just be like, ah, ah, ah. Like, <laughs> I don't know if there's only crows at, their, at his house. But, like, no lie. Anytime we're, like, driving in the car or, like, walking around outside, she sees a bird. She's just like, ah, ah. And, like, I'm like, okay, you can just say bird, too. Like, you don't have to, like, mimic, like, the bird. But, like, her whole world now revolves around babies. She's about to have another little sister. Um, and she carries this, like, Yeah. Shout out to reproducing. It's awesome. <laughs> but she has this little baby doll she carries around, like, baby, baby. She says that all the time. And she's in this phase, though, where um, she's hit all these different milestones, taking her first step, like knowing who I am, Aaron is, grandparents, all that good stuff. But one of the milestones we're trying to work on with her right now is sharing. Now, how many of y'all know that sharing is hard for, like, a young adult? Like, but sharing for, like, somebody that's a year and a half, like, this is a little bit of a task. We're in this phase where we're trying to get her to learn to share, and, and we're subtly trying to introduce this concept to her that the world doesn't revolve around every single one of her waking needs. Now, that sounds funny, but for her, this is like a new concept because up until this point, everything about her life is when she's tired, she gets a nap. When she's hungry, she eats. When she poops, me or Aaron change her, like, which sucks. Um, but everything about her life, like, revolves around her. But we're trying to get her to this place of like, hey, you're going to make more friends and you're going to enjoy this life a little bit more if you learn to share. And so what we'll do is we'll, she'll have, like, she loves uh, my wife. She wants to be just like her. And so when Erin's, like, doing her makeup in the mirror, Ezra walks up to the mirror and starts, like, pretending to do makeup and stuff. And she'll grab Erin's, like, brush and start to, like, brush her hair. And so we'll be like, okay, hey, Ezra, like, can you share that brush with Mommy? 
and she'll like look up because she knows what we're talking about. Or maybe she'll like have a toy, like we have this little like toy horse and everything. And we're like, hey, Ezra, can daddy like, can daddy see the toy? And I know she knows what I'm talking about because like she looks at me and she like smiles and she reaches her hand out like this to let us have it. It's like really cute. Except the only thing is the second you reach out to get it, she reaches back and goes, mine, <laughs> mine. She's like literally one of those little seagulls like on Finding Nemo, Nemo or whatever. I don't even remember teaching her the word mine, but she just knows it's like intrinsic in human nature. Like, this is mine. No, you can't have it. You can look at it, but you can't have it. And so anything, we're like, Ezra, can I see that? Can you share that? Like, sharing's very cool. That's like what big girls do. Like, that's how you make friends. And she'll be like, nope, mine, mine. And it's cute now, right? Like, we try not to laugh. Like, it's cute now, but... That mindset can actually become detrimental to her potential and her future. Like this idea of like mine, mine, everything revolves around me. Like that's cute when you're a year and a half. But when you're 24, 25, 26, and your relationship with other people or maybe your relationship with God is still kind of all about you. Like, hey, this is mine. Like, God, like, thank you for this gift. It's, it's mine, though. Like, I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to give it away. Like, it's cute when it's in a toddler. But when it's a part of our faith journey, when, when we recognize in our spirits and in our souls that there's pieces of our relationship with God that are similar to that, it's, it's not so cute, right? And ironically, when we meet Gideon, he kind of shares the same phase of life that Ezra has towards sharing. But Gideon's is sort of about God. Let's go back to Judges chapter 6. It says this, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders and the that our ancestors told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. So the angel of the Lord, which some scholars believe is a reference to like an Old Testament incarnation of Jesus. Um, but regardless of whether it was Jesus or not, it was a messenger on behalf of God. And he says, hey, Gideon, I have these amazing plans for your life. I know you're oppressed right now, but I am actually going to use you as the source of Israel's deliverance. I have these amazing plans and purposes for you. Gideon, I'm going to use you to rescue your people, and I'm going to make my name great through you. Gideon, I am with you. And look at Gideon's response. God, if you are with me, then why isn't everything going my way right now? God, if you're with me, like you say you are, like if you are with me, if your presence is with me, why am I facing opposition in my life? God, if you're really with me, if you're really here, why am I feeling oppressed? Why do I have to like hide in a wine cellar thing to like figure out how to make some bread or whatever? Like, God, if you are with me, why isn't things going my way in life right now? And isn't that often how we as people sort of judge or gauge God's activity or presence in our own life, right? Isn't that how we sort of gauge whether we're tracking with God or God's tracking with us? God, if you are with me, if you have a purpose for me, if you have a plan for me, if you want to use me, and if you want to bless me, maybe we don't say this out loud, but it's kind of in the subconscious of our mind, things should probably be going more my way right now. If you are really with me and you want to use me. 
God, if you're with me and you want to use me, my shouldn't my finances kind of be on the up and up right now and not kind of taking, taking a crash? God, if you're with me, shouldn't I be getting promoted a little bit more, at least recognized a little more at work. God, if, if you're with me, why am I facing setback or resistance? God, if you're with me, shouldn't I have fallen in love by now? I've been coming to Young Adults for like two and a half weeks. Like, <laughs> come on, like, if you're really with me, if you really told me you have somebody for me, where are they at? Like, come on. God, if you're with me, shouldn't I have a little bit more clarity about my future or what job I'm supposed to go into? Or should I take this internship or should I take this job or should I move to this state or should I stay here? God, if your presence is really with me and you have a plan for my life, shouldn't things sort of just be lining up for me a little bit better? But God shows up to a man in fear for his life, hiding in a wine press in the middle of terrible, oppressive circumstances, and says, I am with you. Even though nothing in this point to Gideon's life would suggest in his eyes that God is with him and that God is for him. And I think the reason that God does this, the reason that God shows up, and assures Gideon that he is with him before any of his situations or circumstances change is because God is trying to use Gideon. But before he can use Gideon to do anything of, of, of substance or anything of significance, God has to confront his perspective. Before God can use you, he must confront your perspective on how you think and feel about the way that he works. Then it's no different here. Before God can use Gideon to deliver an entire nation, he has to confront the way that Gideon sees his presence. I think if we want to be people that have a mature faith, if we want to be a people that has the faith that God can use to do amazing and incredible things for his kingdom and for his glory, one of the first things that we need is a shift in our perspective. One of the first things that we need to realize is that just because everything in life isn't going the way that you would prefer it to go does not mean that God is not with you. Just because everything in your life isn't lining up to your preferences, just because everything in life isn't meeting your expectations, just because maybe you're facing a little bit of opposition in this season of life right now does not mean that God's presence is not with you. What it actually might mean is that God is setting the stage in your life to come through and show himself mighty and show himself strong on your behalf. See, miracles aren't miraculous unless there's a significant risk. Miracles don't have much significance if there's not a lot on the line or if there's not a lot to lose. Freedom doesn't feel like freedom if you're first not enslaved, right? Like peace doesn't feel like peace unless you first experience anxiety. And there are moments in this life where God will let you walk through opposition so he can set up a moment for you to experience breakthrough and he can get the glory for it. Just because everything in your life isn't lining up the way you want it to right now does not mean that God is not with you. And here's where I think we get this mixed up. And here's where I think we kind of feel this like tension and this frustration in it is that we think, we believe that the greatest promises that God gives us 
are the dreams that he puts in our heart, are the perspective about the destiny that he has laid out for us, or the purpose that he has given us. How many people in here feel like God has given them a dream or a purpose and a destiny in their life? Four of you. Okay, more hands. Okay, I was going to say, maybe we need to shift everything I'm talking about tonight and talk about that. But, but where we kind of get mixed up with this and why I think we get frustrated is because we believe the biggest promise, the biggest gift God can give us is a vision for our destiny or a vision for our dreams. But the biggest gift, the biggest promise that God can give us isn't this, this incredible vision for our life. It's his presence. And when he gives Gideon this vision for his life, the first thing that he does is assure him that my presence is with you. Because a vision without God's presence is just a fleeting thought. But God's presence in a dream or a vision has potential to change not just your future, but the future of your friends and your family and your office and your coworkers and the world around you. The greatest gift God can give us is, is his presence. And when we are assured of God's presence, we can accomplish anything God puts in our heart. And if we want to be a people of a growing faith, of a maturing faith that can stand the test of time and can stand those dry seasons where it feels like to the naked eye, maybe God is not with me because things aren't lining up in my way. If we want to be a people with mature faith, we have to let God shift our perspective and know. That just like Gideon found out, that if God calls me, then he is with me. And if God is with me, it doesn't matter what my circumstances might look like or say. I know that I can do what God has called me to do because his presence is with me. So the first thing we see is that God calls Gideon and tells him he wants to use him to free his people. And Gideon, he kind of gains this new perspective that God is with him regardless of his situation. And so we kind of move forward in the story a little bit. And it seems like Gideon is taking God up on his word, right? It seems like Gideon is bought into what God is sort of telling him. It seems like he understands. He kind of got what God was trying to shift in his perspective. And he's moving forward. And, and as the story goes, I'm going to kind of give you a Cliff Notes version. God's like, hey, I want to use you. I'm with you. And what I need you to do is get rid of the idols in your family and in your town. And so Gideon, his name actually means hacker, which sounds kind of weird. Gideon means hacker. And he gets his name from this particular moment. He goes and he starts chopping down all these idols that are sort of like in his, his town. He hacks away at them. Interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I, th I thought that was cool. Maybe you don't think it's cool at all. Okay. So he does this, and then he kind of takes God up on his word, and he's like, all right, well, if I'm going to go defeat these Midianites, if, if I am this warrior that you said that I am, I've got to do this. I'm going to rally an army. And so he blows this trumpet and rallies 32,000 people. 32,000. This coward that was hiding in a wine press rallies 32,000 people to come to his aid to fight and go to war and face the Midianites. And at this point in the story, the author is sort of building up to this like epic Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like Battle of Hogwarts like moment. Like Gideon's got his army and the Midianites are like moving in to like kind of come in and fight. And it feels like he's setting us up for this amazing epic battle that's about to take place. Until Gideon has this moment of doubt. And I love it because it's so human. Gideon has this moment of doubt and he's like, um, 
I know I got a crew. I'm rolling pretty deep. Like, I feel good about that. But did I, did I really hear from God about this whole war thing? Like, I, I shuck wheat. Like, I, like, this sword, I have done nothing with this sword except shuck some wheat. Like, I, 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 I'm not really like a warrior here. Like, did I really hear from God? Like, am I sure I'm not, like, making all this up? Like, how relatable is that? How many of you have gotten a word from God, but then life comes or situation comes and you feel like, I think I heard from God, right? Like, I don't know, I have Taco Bell too many nights in a row. Like, is that, is that like, I think I heard from God. Judges 6, 36, Gideon said to God, Lord, if you're actually going to do what you told me you're going to do, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, as you've promised, look, I'm going to place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on only the fleece but not the ground and the ground's dry, then I know that you're going to save Israel by my hand like you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He got the wool fleece and he wrung out the dew in a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. All right, we're talking war here. Like 32,000 people, that's a lot. Like, let me make one more request to you, God. Allow me one more test with this fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and the ground be covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. And I love this because this is such a human moment. And I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we see these great, like, people of faith, and we almost think they're untouchable or, or that, like, we could never relate to them. But this is such a relatable, like, human moment that Gideon is showing us. God, I think I've heard from you. God, I, I think I know what you want me to do. I think I, I've got my purpose from you. I think, you know, you called me the mighty warrior thing. You told me your presence is going to be with me. I think I heard from you, but just to be sure. God, can you give me a sign? God, can you, can you reaffirm what you told me? God, can you give me a sign just so I know I'm not missing it? And here's what I love about God. He does. God gives Gideon a sign. He actually does exactly what Gideon asks him to do. Just like my daughter Ezra, when she runs up to me and asks me to pick her up, or when she wants me to get her water, or when she wants to go look at the nanes, like, what, whatever, like, just like a good dad, God does exactly what Gideon asks him to do. He, he gives him a confirmation of his word to build his faith, and God says, okay, what do you need me to do to reassure you that I've called you? and that I want to use you, and that I'm with you. What do you want me to do? And as I was reading this story, I was kind of like, why would God do this? Why would God kind of continually keep playing these games with Gideon? Like, because this actually isn't the first time Gideon asked for a sign. When, when Oprah was involved in the story earlier, like when that angel was sitting under the tree at Oprah, um, Gideon, he's like, hey, you're a mighty warrior, whatever. And Gideon didn't believe him that time. And so literally Gideon makes this meal and like brings it and the angel like whacks it with his stick and it gets consumed in fire. And he's like, okay, all right, I, I guess, I guess I believe what you're saying. So this isn't the first time that Gideon is asking for a sign. Why does God keep appeasing Gideon? He doesn't have to. He's already given Gideon his word. He's always, he's already given Gideon his presence. Why does God keep affirming this? 
Because if we're just being totally honest, God is for you. And it might sound so simple, but God is for you. God loves you. He is filled with so much grace and so much mercy towards you. Listen, you are not burdensome to God. Your moments where your faith may wane and your doubt may rise and you need some reassurance, that is not burdensome to God. God is not annoyed by that. God is not frustrated by by moments of doubt, very human moments that we all experience. God loves you. He is for you. He is committed to you. Jesus is committed to you. He has committed himself to you and your life, no matter where you find yourself and whatever season of life in, God is committed to you. And in moments when you need faith, when your trust and your faith in him is going through the process of maturing, he will take you by the hand, just like I'd take my little daughter and walk her through moments of doubt. God will take you by the hand and he will walk you through moments of doubt and reassure you of the word and the promise that he has given you. But I want you to hear this. There's a caveat to this. I want you to hear this because I believe that this is where so many Christians with so many good intentions get so sidelined and get stuck and get so derailed. In the journey of faith and following Jesus, the goal is not to stay in a season of questioning the word God has given you by seeking signs and assurance. The goal when it comes to faith and maturing faith in God, is to not constantly live in this place where God has given us a word and we can't move forward on it because we're so paralyzed by fear or analysis of the situation. And we kind of live in this season of seeking signs and seeking affirmations. The goal is to move to a place of pure trust where you hear God and move. And sometimes we can get so caught up. We live in this sort of like Christian world where we love signs. Like we love affirmation. Like we love like to see uh, driving down the road, should I move to this place? Oh, the sign says California. I guess I need to move to California. Like we love, we, we, we live in an era where we love signs. We love affirmations. But sometimes we can get so caught up in God affirming the word that he has already promised us and already secured and sealed with his presence, that we can forget that it's not signs and assurance that please God, it's faith that pleases God. It's not your need for constant reassurance, although God will do that. It's faith that pleases God. Faith is the evidence of what? What we do not see. Faith is evidence in things you cannot see. And if we don't move on the word that God has given us until we see it, that is not faith. And that does not please God. God wants our faith to be so mature that when he gives us a word, we confidently step into the promise that he's given us regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our finances, regardless of the odds that feel like they're being stacked against us. God wants a people of such mature faith that even when they can't see the promise that God has given him, they'll step forward in it anyway. Because they know that, like Manny said a few weeks ago, it's not the results that please God, it's the faith that pleases God. God is pleased 
by faith. And listen, God loves you so much. God is so passionately in love with you that when you have moments where your faith wavers and your faith wanes, he will give you a sign. He will give you confirmation. He will give you assurance of his promise. He will give you what you ask of him, just like he did of Gideon, because God is for you. He is not against you. And sometimes these moments, they're not burdensome to God. God will show up on your behalf and affirm the word that God has given you. He will give you what you ask for. But the goal of that is to build your faith to a point where you not only get what you ask for from God, but that, but, excuse me, but that you can confidently in faith give God what he's asking of you. The goal of our perspective shift, the goal of God giving us these signs when our faith wanes isn't to just continue this process of, God, I need this, so give me this. God, I need this, so give me that. God, that was good, but I'm still not sure, so give me this. The, the goal is to get your faith to a place where not only God comes through for you, but that you have so much trust and faith in God that you can do what God is asking of you. And band, you guys can make your way on up. Listen, God never wants you to stop asking him for things. Jesus literally gives us this analogy in the New Testament of how to pray. And it's of this person who is constantly annoying the ever-living crap out of their neighbor. It says that there's a guest that comes to his house and is hungry and is asking for a loaf of bread because he doesn't have anything. And so he goes over to his neighbor's house. And it's like one in the morning. And he's just constantly knocking on the door. And the guy's like, what do you want? He's like, I got a guest coming from out of town, and I need some food for him. I don't have anything. The guy's like, dude, go home. It's, it's like one. Like, what are you doing? And nope, not, 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 like I'm not going to leave until I get what I came here for. Jesus tells us that is how we should pray. So God is not saying, uh, stop asking me for things. God never wants you to stop asking him for things. He just wants to get you to a point where he can ask you for things. And you trust him enough to say, okay, okay, God, I've asked you for some things, and you've come through for me. You've shown yourself faithful. What do you want from my life? Because I trust you, and I'll say, okay. So many of us want to be used by God to do these amazing world-changing things. The only caveat is we want them to be on our process, our ideal process, or our ideal timeline, and there will be moments in your walk with Jesus where it feels like the situation isn't working out the way that you want, and then you start to doubt, and you start to question the word that God has given you, and he will answer your request to build your faith so that he can invite you into a season in a situation that doesn't make sense, but makes faith. That might not make sense, that might not seem logical, but it makes faith. And you can confidently walk in and say yes. And when you have the faith, to step into those seasons, when you have the, the, the maturity in your walk with God to not just ask him for things, but say yes when God asks you for things, man, that's the invitation to see the miraculous happen every single day. Every single day. I remember there was this season where I was like a brand new Christian going to a big secular school um, like, like CU Boulder, just like a huge school, 30,000 people, VCU, Richmond, Rams, go Rams. Um, Nobody in here is a Ram. Um, 
And I just remember, like, I, you remember when, like, you first accepted Jesus? And you were, like, so naive to the fact that, like, you didn't have, like, any preferences. And God was like, hey, go share your faith with that person. And you're like, okay, sweet, like I will, because you just radically changed my entire life. So I'm going to go talk to this person about it. Hey, go give this person money. Okay, I will. That's such like a sweet season of my life. And so often I'll like sit and just reflect on those moments where like God was so good to me that I just said yes to like everything that God had. And listen, I got cussed out more times than you can imagine trying to talk to somebody about Jesus. I'd give somebody money and they'd look at me and be like, I don't want your money in my like charity project. Like situations didn't always line up, but there's blessing in saying yes. And God wants to build your faith to a place where God not only will come through on your behalf, but you can come through on God's behalf and that he can use you to do what he wants to accomplish. Our story ends with God affirming his presence and call on Gideon's life with these signs. And then God makes a request on Gideon's life. Gideon had summoned 32,000 soldiers to go to battle and to liberate his people. And as Gideon, these signs come, the fleece is wet, the fleece is dry. He's like, all right, I'm going to do this. And they're marching out to battle. And God says, hold up, hold up, hold up. Bro, you got way too many people with you. I'm going to need you to look at anybody who is afraid right now and say, go home. And so Gideon's like, um, okay, I'm afraid right now. Can I go home? Like, but Gideon's like, hey, anybody who's afraid, I'm hoping it's like two of you. Like, Ted, you're afraid. Leave. Like, but everybody else, like, and he's like, hey, who's, a, who, who, who's afraid? You can go home and 20,000 people leave. Holy crap, like, I'm about to go to war. And more than half of my army, two-thirds of my army just dipped because they were afraid. First off, I wish they would have told me that, like, up front. Like, but secondly, like, what am I going to do now? And I can imagine Gideon having this, like, panicked moment of, like, okay, um, God, like, half of my army just left. Like, what am I going to do? But he has nowhere to go because he's seen God show up again and again and again and again. On his behalf, he's seen God reassure his doubt and reassure these moments where his faith was wavering. And so he's like, I guess I'm all in. All right, me and 10,000 of you, come on, we'll do this. God's like, dog, no, 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 no. Way too many people, Gideon, way too many people. Okay, uh, what, what are we going to do here? And God does this weird little test, like go down to a river and whoever drinks like from their hands, uh, keep them. And whoever laps like a dog, tell them to go home. And I'd be like, okay, um, don't see how this is going to translate, but let's do it. 300 people are left facing like a nation, like a giant army, 300 people. And if Gideon had the same perspective that he had when he first met God, he would say, God, you're not with me, right? God, you're not with me because the odds are stacked against me. God, you're not with me because the situation isn't panning out the way I want it to turn out. God, you're not with me because if you're with me, wouldn't I have an army of 100,000, not just 32, not nonetheless 300. Like, God, if you were with me. But no, his faith has matured a little bit. And he has the perspective that no, God's presence is with me. Therefore, I have everything that I need. 
And God's shown up on my behalf when I've had doubt over and over and over again. And so if God says, I only need 300 people, then I only need 300 people. And Gideon, the OG 300, Gerard Butler like style, like conquers this army and defeats these people and God delivers them into Gideon's hands and God gets the glory. And not Gideon, God gets the glory. If we wanna be a people of maturing faith, we need to have a change in our perspective that if God will call me and his presence is with me, then I have enough. We need to be a people that knows that God will affirm my doubts, but the affirmation and the signs aren't the goal, it's faith that pleases God. And we need to know that the goal of faith isn't just to get what you want from God, but it's so that God can get out of you what he wants in your life. We all stand to your feet, we're gonna pray. God, I believe that there are so many people in this room right now that have find themselves in one of these seasons of maturing faith. God, maybe for somebody tonight, man, you're gonna show up for the very first time and they're not gonna know your character. They're not gonna know um, how you operate. And so when you say like, hey, I'm here, I'm with you, I wanna know you, they're not gonna trust that. So God, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that God, you would just begin to ease hearts would your Holy Spirit, that is the spirit of peace, just begin to sit in this room and let people know that, God, you are here with us now. It doesn't matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. If there's somebody that's walked in battling depression, God, you're there. They don't have to fix their life. They don't have to be happy for you to be happy with them. Your presence is with them right now. God, if there's somebody in this room that is going through a hard relational struggle, maybe it's a breakup, Maybe, maybe there's somebody in this room right now where you feel like you guys were gonna be together forever, but things aren't working out and you're heartbroken. Can I tell you that God, the presence of God is with you right now. Maybe there's some of you in this room right now and you are neck deep and drowning in your sin. And you're like, God's presence can't be with me because I'm not even for him. Can I tell you that it's God's presence that rescues you from your sin. It's not you like tidying up your life and presenting yourself from God. It's God's presence that rescues you. So maybe you're in here tonight and you're just in a season where you're like, I don't know if God is with me. I want to pray for you. Or maybe you're in this room tonight and you're in a season where you feel like God has given you a word. God has given you a promise. But you feel doubt start to arise in your heart. And you're like, God, I need a sign. I just want to pray that God will give you that sign but then it'll move you to a place of faith and trust so that you can step out into that word that God has given you. Or maybe maybe you're, you have that faith and you know that God is with you and you're facing these difficult situations because God is about to show up mighty on your behalf. I just wanna reaffirm the season that you're in and reaffirm your faith in Jesus' name. Father God, I pray right now for anybody in this room who doesn't have a relationship with you, Man, if that's you, could you just start to have a conversation with God? You don't, have to, you don't even have to speak out loud. Would you just say, Jesus, I want to know you? God, would you show yourself to me? God, would you reveal who you are to me right now? God, for people that don't know you, don't know your character, and maybe they're questioning whether your presence is with them, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would affirm that you are with them and that you are for them. And God, for anybody walking through a season of life where you have given them a word, but they're starting to doubt, they're starting to question, God, I pray right now that you would give them affirmation, that you would let faith arise in their spirit, that you are with them and that you are for them, that you are good and their doubt and their, and their wavering isn't burdensome to you. 
But God, you want to get them to a place where they can confidently step out in your word. God, I pray for somebody that's on the verge of breakthrough right now. That God, that you would just affirm their faith. The moments where we're about to experience breakthrough is where the moments where the enemy sort of presses in the hardest. And so if you're in a season of life right now where you feel like you're just being assailed on every side, I promise if you stand firm in your faith, you are going to see God move in your life and you are going to come out better and stronger and God is going to get the glory on the other side. God, I pray right now as we go into a moment of worship, man, would you just lift your name high? Could we fix our eyes on Jesus? And God, I pray that your presence would just be tangible in this room tonight as we worship you. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Young adults, let's worship together.